This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Matt told me that y'all have been in the summer, been talking about prayer and looking at different passages on prayer. So I'm excited to enter into that, something I need to grow in and something that we all probably need to grow in. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 11, 5 through 13. I noticed in your bulletin that you might read your passage first uh, and then jump in. I'm going to give a little bit of context, read it, and then kind of go into our sermon. So Luke 11, 5 through 13, this is a chapter that has the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed in it. But in our passage in Luke 11, we find, in the beginning of it, we find Jesus praying in a certain place. Now this is not new to disciples. He'd been there before. They had seen him praying many times before. But this time, they ask him a question. They ask a request. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. And in this request, in this question, this is where we find the context of our passage in all of, really, Luke 11. So Jesus answers that request, that question. He gives us first in verses 2 through 4, which we just read, it was the Lord's Prayer, a model and a pattern for prayer, and then which you probably read every Sunday and pray every Sunday. But then in five verse, our passage, verses 5 through 13, he gives us a better understanding of how prayer works in the context of our relationship with him. So that's kind of my thesis, uh, what uh, verses 5 through 13 is about is Jesus is giving us a better understanding of how prayer works in the context of a relationship with him. Now, I went to RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, um, and I think that's the one that Matt went to as well. And one of my counseling professors, he always would, uh, in counseling class, he would always ask this question. He would say, what are the communication dynamics in your marriage? What are the communication dynamics in your marriage. Now, communication is a vital part to any marriage. Uh, you know that if you're married. And one of the ways you can tell the health of your marriage, he would say, is by your communication dynamics. But it's also a vital part for our relationship with the Lord. So we can ask this question. What are your communication dynamics with the Lord? This is focused on prayer. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. He first gives us a model of how to pray, but then he dives in and helps us understand what prayer is like, what are the dynamics of prayers like in our relationship with him. So let's go ahead and read our passage, Luke 11, 5 through 13. Um, if you want to stand with me, you can stand and we can read. Hear the word of God. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives... Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in this passage, Jesus has given us two dynamics that we have in prayer. He wants us to understand the freedom that we have in prayer, and he also wants us to understand the confidence, the freedom in prayer and our confidence in prayer. So let's look at the freedom in our prayers. Like any good teacher, Jesus gives us an illustration in verses 5 through 8, with a man going to his friend's house in the middle of the night, waking everyone up and asking for three loaves of bread, right? And then he sums it up with an application of what he's trying to teach in the illustration in verses 9 through 10. But first we need to understand the context of this illustration in verses 5 through 8. In the East, hospitality is a sacred duty. Not only in the East, but especially in the East. Uh, a number of years ago, I went to Jakarta. Uh, one of my friends planted a church there in the middle of the city. And as we got there in the middle of the night, uh, everyone there, was like five or six people, were at the airport uh, waiting for us, and they drove us home. And all throughout the week, they were always asking us, you know, waking us up and having coffee ready for us and making sure we always had enough food and they were driving us all over the place. They were really making sure that we felt welcome because we were their guest. And this is kind of what is going on here. However, if I was in this story as an American, we might would say, why not just leave the door unlocked, leave a bottle of water and note saying, glad you made it, we'll see you in the morning when everybody wakes up. But this was unthinkable to do in the East, and especially in this story. It would be crazy not to take care of this man, his guest, very well. One would put himself out like he was doing. He was going and inconvenience his other friend so that he could, you know, welcome his guest well. We also need to realize that a closed door uh, is a sign for do not disturb. Just like in a hotel, if you're in a hotel sleeping, put the little sign on your door, do not disturb. No one will come in there and try to clean your room, right? So a door open in the east would probably mean welcome, come on in. But his door was closed, which the time for privacy had come, right? Also, in this area, there's usually just one room per house. So in this house, you would have the the kids and the parents and the grandparents all sleeping in one room, in one floor. So it was close quarters. Everyone's sleeping. When one person's awake, everyone's awake. In my house, we, you know, we have three kids plus, plus a dog. Uh, it's a campaign to get everyone to sleep at night. I'm, I'm worn out at the end of the night, and we finally get everyone to sleep. If one of our kids wake up a couple of hours later, and they're starting talking or being loud, we're, hush, hush, we need to be quiet. We don't want to go through this campaign again. This is kind of what this man was probably saying. He said, my kids are asleep in bed with me. Go away. Do not bang on my door. And you better, be, you better believe, if someone came to my house past 10 o'clock and was banging on the door, I would be pretty upset. And so this is kind of the, the context he's in. So this man is going to the house at midnight, which isn't, you know, midnight here is maybe after we finish a Netflix show and we turn off our TV and we're going to sleep. Midnight has been, you know, it, non-electricity world. They go to sleep around 7 or 8, whenever it gets dark. And then so they've been asleep for a long time. So he's in the middle of the night, banging on the door, asking for food. Now, what the original readers might have been shocked to understand is this. 
The irony of this story, in the midst of this man's audacity, the man is not sent away hungry, but he actually receives the bread. This has been a shock to them. It's like, why in the world? Why? And verse 8 says it. Not because they are friends, but because of his impudence. So this word will mean shamelessness, or his boldness. Now, it's really important to understand this. Jesus, sometimes this verse gets as an equation for how to get your prayers answered. If you ask the Lord boldly enough, or if you, you know, go to him over and over and over, he might relent and give you his uh, give you what, what you're, you're asking. Now, Jesus isn't offering a formula here, but what he is doing, he's saying, uh, the formula might do this. If you bother God enough, he'll answer your prayers. Or you just got to be persistent. But that's not what he's doing. But what he is doing, he's showing us the amount of freedom that we have in the Lord and our prayers. This is our first communication dynamics, the freedom that we have. We aren't bothering the Lord. We're not bothering God when we go to him in prayer. So I think Jesus is saying, if a man can do this with a friend, how much more freedom can he do that with the Lord? Which means this for us. We can come to him with anything. He wasn't banging on the door with a life or death emergency, but he was asking for food. We can go to the Lord with anything that we have in our life. We can come to him with whenever we want. This was in the middle of the night. They were asleep very inconsiderate. There were no closed doors here. There's no closed doors with the Lord. The Lord knows, especially in the middle of the night when we're wrestling with anxiety, that's the perfect time that we can come to him and pray to him. We can come to him shamelessly. We don't have to worry about our needs or being embarrassed. We can come to him without pretense. We can come to him boldly. He was banging on the door in the middle of the night, in the middle of a neighborhood, asking for food. We can be bold in our prayers. If Jesus, if this man is a good friend and gives this man food, Jesus is the better friend and he gives us his food. May he sums it up, this illustration, verses 5 through 8, and in verses 9 through 10, he sums up this dynamic of freedom with an illustration in verses 9 through 10. It says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. The words, and I tell you, what this is, is a, it's a henna clause which advances the argument. So it's connecting uh, the illustration in verses 5 through 8 to this uh, asking, the seeking, and knocking in verses 9 through 10. And in this clause, ask and seek and knock, these are three verbs that have a sense of urgency here. And they're, they're a continuation. So this means it isn't just a one-time action, but it's a continuous action. And he's summing up this man's actions, his showing up in the middle of the night, banging on the door, asking the, uh, for food with asking and seeking and knocking. So our prayer life should be described as asking and seeking and knocking. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, Yes, this friend had to be impudent to get what he need, but I have not only given you the freedom to invite you to ask and seek and knock, but I expect you to be asking and seeking and knocking, to always come to me. This is the freedom that the Lord has given us in our relationship with him, in our prayer life. The Lord of the universe is saying, yes, there are barriers with a friend asking for food, 
but there are no barriers, there are no restrictions with me. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. This is the complete access that we have to our Father. This is the promise that he has given to us. That's a beautiful thing. It's very encouraging. I think sometimes we struggle in our prayer life because we are living under false barriers. And some of those barriers might be um, we think our sinfulness is too much. We struggle to believe that we have that freedom, that access, the worthiness to go to him in prayer. We need to clean ourselves up first, and then we can go to him in prayer. This is a false lie, false belief. Maybe another barrier would be this. Sometimes we believe that the Lord can't be bothered with the little things that we have. We need to do it on our own. No, he wants to be involved in every area of our lives. Sometimes we might believe that because of our shame and guilt, we believe that he's disappointed in us. The gospel says that he looks down over us and smiles over us. He, he's so proud to call you his child. Maybe sometimes we believe that he doesn't actually hear us. He won't open the door. Our passage says the opposite here, right? Or maybe if he does hear our prayers, why would he give us three loaves? Why would he give me the things that I'm asking for? I haven't given him anything lately. Maybe if I go to church or maybe if I serve or minister to others, then when I pray, maybe I'll get what I'm asking for. Well, that's a transactional gospel, which is a false gospel. The, the gospel, our gospel does not work that way. Or what about you might be careful what you ask for. You might be careful what you pray for. You might get it. Well, that's a, that's a false fear that we have because what this passage is saying, that he's a good friend. He's a good father. These are earthly arguments that only apply in our earthly relationships. And in the gospel, we have an open door and a gracious friend. We have freedom in here. Jesus Christ wasn't just an example or emulation in verses two to four we see there, but he's a representative for our substitution. Because of his life and death and resurrection, we have complete access and freedom to go to him. So our first dynamic is the freedom in our prayer life. The second one, Let's observe the confidence that we have in our prayer. So our first point, our freedom, that kind of goes with our actions, how we can go to him. But this, our confidence, is based on who we are praying to. Now, Jesus is trying to form their confidence, their attitude of uh, their heart of prayer by clarifying who they're praying to. Now, uh, for example, children become experts at asking things, what they want from grown-ups. When I was a kid, if I wanted to go to a Memphis Tiger basketball game, I would, I would go to my dad and say, Dad, can we please go to a Memphis Tiger basketball game? He would always say yes. Uh, now, if I need uh, help with my schoolwork, I would go to my mom and say, Mom, I need help with my schoolwork. I would not go to my dad. If I needed finances, I would go to my grandmother and I'd say, Grandmother, can you please give me money? And she would always give me money. My confidence of what I was asking for was always based on who I was asking it from, right? And this is what Jesus is saying. He's building our confidence in our prayer life to who we're praying to. Now, in here, in our passage, verses 5 through 8, we see Jesus painting a picture of who we're praying, um, praying, or praying to. And we have, first, we see a better friend. As we look again at this illustration, we learned that the friendship was the foundation 
for the guy going to the house and asking for food. His request was made on the foundation of his friendship and necessity, right? We learn that with earthly friendships, it's impossible for the friend to say no because of his um, audacity. In the midst of frustration and inconvenience of being asleep and having to wake up, he couldn't say no to his friend. This was a good friend here to wake up in the middle of the night and to, to give out food. But Jesus is saying, I'm a better friend than this, the perfect friend, your heavenly friend. Alistair Begg uh, said it perfectly. If this happened with a friend, how much more may the disciples rest assured that God, who is our heavenly friend, will never refuse anything needful when we come to him in sincere prayer? If a normal human friendship produces this kind of result, we can be absolutely confident that our heavenly friend, Jesus and the Lord, will be able to respond to our prayers without giving needs, uh, without giving us what we, need, what we do not need. You see, Jesus is building the disciples' confidence and our, and our confidence in prayer based on friendship that we have with the Lord. So that's not how, but who. We also see he's a better friend, but we also see in verses 11 through 13, he's the better father. He then changes and takes an even more intimate route. He says, what father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give food, good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The fact that Jesus invites us to pray with impudence and boldness and shamelessness only makes sense because we're praying to a father, not just a friend, but to a father as well. Only my children have the ability to to tug on my shirt and ask me questions, or even ask me the same question five times thinking they're going to get a different response, or saying please 10 times over and over and over. Only my children can wake me up in the middle of the night asking for water, or wanting to play at five o'clock in the morning. I might be a little bit bitter than this this morning. But that liberty is built on our relationship with each other. I love them with all my heart. And because of that love, and because they're my children, they have the access to do that with me. Jesus is saying, what earthly father will give a child a serpent rather than a fish, or scorpion rather than an egg? No decent father will do that. He's using common knowledge that we have of our earthly fathers that loves and protects and gives children good gifts. And if that is true of an earthly, good earthly father, how much better and true is it with our heavenly father? Jesus is driving home this point. He starts off with the Lord's Prayer in verse 2. Our Father who art in heaven. And now in this passage, he's explaining it to us. It's really neat. If you look at the names of the Lord that from Genesis to Revelation, when you hit Matthew, you start to see Father over and over and over again. And what they're saying is, our relationship with him needs to be focused. The gospel writers are saying, you need to see the Lord as your Father. So, what does this mean for us? Tim Keller explains it best. He says, prayer works only on family terms. Prayer works only on family terms. So think about this. Children go to their parents boldly and shamelessly with their request. 
and they do it expectantly, and they do it with complete trust, right? Does this mean that they'll get whatever they want? No, that's not it at all. They're poor judges of what is good for themselves, and their parents know us best. If, my, if I answered every um, request of my children this week, I just thought about it this morning, um, I would have to buy a $3,000 drone for my son um, or uh, created their own YouTube channel and put all kinds of videos on there uh, and bought about four dogs this week. Um, so this obviously isn't always the best thing. A father knows what's best for their kids. They expect kids expect to be taken care of. They know who to go to for their needs. They expect good gifts sometimes, only obviously sometimes too many good gifts. They expect to be loved and to cherish. Jesus is painting this picture of what it looks like to pray on family terms. So what does this mean for us? We can pray for him freedom, yes, but we also need to pray trusting how he answers our prayers. He knows what's best, and we need to come to him and pray in humility that he does know what's best. We can express our hearts to him with whatever it's on it. The Psalms are full of these prayers, prayers of lament and anger and joy and fear and sadness. He delights to hear these prayers. I love my kids whenever they do, when they start to tell me what's on their heart. I love it. That's when I'm really able to connect with them. We can go to him praying, expecting only good, not only good gifts from him, but especially we can expect to receive the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 13, which is our ultimate gift. We can go to him, praying to him, and really develop an intimacy with him. Uh, I get to drive my kids to school um, almost every morning during the school year. And at that time, it is the best conversation, the most interesting conversations, but it's the best conversations. And I would say that, yeah, we go on vacations and do a lot of things, but our, really our relationship, especially with my older two, are built on those drives. We try to you know, memorize a verse on the way, but sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But we have a lot of conversations about their day, reflecting on what's coming. And those are my, probably my favorite times with my children. I love that time. But this is our prayer. The Lord loves us to pray to him. He loves hearing what's going on in our lives. He loves uh, hearing what's going on in our hearts. Matthew Henry said it probably the best. If any earthly father is willing to lay down out for the education of their children, to whom they design to leave their estates, how much more will a heavenly father give the spirit of sons to whom all he is predestined to the inheritance of his sons? He's going to give you good gifts, but he's especially going to give you so much more to be adopted as his children, his very presence with us, to give us his Holy Spirit, and to give us his kingdom. So we're praying for freedom and freedom, but we're also praying to a heavenly father. Uh, I'll conclude with this. I've told this story a number of times in Second Perez, but when I was in college, uh, I'd just come to Christ, and uh, I was at a bonfire party out, uh, out in the woods, and there was probably 100, 200 people there, and um, I had just bought a, a forerunner. Um, I had, had a landscaping company, and um, after doing landscaping, I bought a forerunner. It was my favorite thing. Put new tires on it and put a new paint job. It was my, it was my love of my life, probably. And uh, the only thing I didn't replace was the CD player yet. I had plans to. I just hadn't replaced it yet. But we were using it uh, for my st- uh, stereo system and the sound. And, uh, and so my tailgate was down. We were listening to music. And 
um, someone replaced the CD back then as a CD. Uh, they replaced the CD and the CD player messed up. So all you have to do is kind of to fix it, which turn off the ignition and turn the ignition back on. Don't start the car, but just off and on. Uh, but whoever got into my car and was uh, put change the CD actually hit my clutch cancel button. So when it messed up, I kind of put into my went into the car and turned the ignition off and then on. Uh, and but because the clutch cancel button was on, it jumped and started rolling back towards the fire. And so I was like, Oh my goodness, my my forerunner's running towards the fire. So I ran, jumped in it, and slammed on the brakes and didn't stop sliding because it was kind of damp. So I put the emergency brake in, pulled it back out, still sliding, so I cut the wheel and stopped. And I was like, thank the Lord. But then I looked outside my window and there's fire coming on. So my forerunner had rolled up onto this fire. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I put my hand on the key and I was going to turn it on and drive out. But I didn't know what exactly was going to happen if you turn on a forerunner in a fire. And there's hundreds of people around. So I was, in a split second, just grabbed my phone and jumped out of my car and ran and about 10 seconds later, I turned around and I mean, it's three times, the fire was three times as big as this building. And, uh, and so you know, there's girls hyperventilating, guys were like, this is awesome. And I was crying because my forerunner was blowing up and uh, I knew insurance wouldn't pay for this. And, uh, but somehow some parent got there and, um, and they said, Brett, do you want to call your parents? I said, no way. And do you want me to call your parents? I was like, yes. And uh, I was scared of what my parents were going to say. And, uh, and I did not want to talk to them. But when they finally arrived and the fire department was there, uh, I saw my parents. They weren't mad at all. They actually were concerned about me. And I forgot that they loved me and cared for me. And they're my parents. They even actually gave me a ride home. It was amazing. And on the way, they had saw a car accident, and it kind of broke their heart. They didn't care about the car. They didn't care about whatever happened at the bonfire party. Uh, but they cared about me, and I forgot that was the relationship I had. I forgot that was the freedom I have. This is very similar to our relationship with God. Sometimes we forget the freedom and the confidence of who we're praying to and the dynamics that we have in our prayer. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.